Hey, g'day, mate. Luke Ford here, Richard Spencer, a new video talking with Destiny on the No Jumper channel. Um, a lot of it has been organic and, um, and intellectual. Um, a lot of it has been just facing down a lot of battles that I don't think I could win. Uh, there was this alt-right energy in 2016 and 2017. We're going to take on the world. We're going to go save the monuments. And Trump is going to be amazing and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, there, there's certainly there's a tremendous amount of pushback. There's a tremendous amount of violence that can be created by that. And I don't want to be a part of that. I, I think it's a game you can't really win, so you shouldn't play. Um, I've also gone through some intellectual development. Um, I think, uh, I mean, some things we can get into, um, but just to, you know, put little placeholders on them. Uh, critique of populism, I would say, in general. Um, I think populism is going to lead to toxic QAnon cults and J6, almost invariably. I think that's what populism is. Yeah, I mean, is there anything that's not going to lead to some toxic or negative result, right? Just because uh, populism or any political movement can have an ugly and toxic expression, that that's not the end of it, right? Also has a positive expression. Uh, and uh, I've, I've also rethought a lot of things geopolitically, particularly uh, with the Ukraine situation. And uh, I generally feel like liberals are a kind of hegemonic entity. And So I, I don't sense much of a, a spiritual transformation in Richard Spencer's perspective on life. They are the ones who can successfully govern. And you have to kind of confront that. You can't just say no to everything or yell at everyone, be a MTG or something like that. You have to look at what is actually possible in the world. And um, I think Democrats are much more successful in, um, again, sustaining and governing the society. So a lot of it's kind of been, in some ways, a kind of Hobbesian bargain and lots of other things. But um, so a lot of it's been organic. A lot of it has been, um, you know, facing down battles that, that aren't winnable and not, not really ones I want to take part in. And um, I don't know, you kind of get older, you have different, uh, different opinions. Looking back at that former version of yourself, though, are you able to yeah, what, what we're really hearing here is uh, someone tired of, of accepting the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and so opting for different expressions of what he fundamentally believes. He's opting for phrasing things differently, choosing to take a, a spiritual, religious, you know, cultural approach because he had his ass kicked in politics. Well, they're kind of take a different perspective on the younger version of yourself that was somewhat consumed with uh, your white identity and, and really wanted to embrace these culture wars in a way that... Okay, so there's probably a whole lot that these three have in common, all right? So they're very good at talking to an audience and telling an audience what it wants to hear. So Richard is good at that. I assume No Jumper with 4.6 million subscribers must be pretty good at it and Destiny as well. So these, these are three players who probably have a great deal in common. It seems like you've kind of stepped back yeah, a little bit. Yeah, also I, real quick, just on that too. How old are you now and then how old were you? Yeah, just I'm, so I'm 44 now okay, and I was, I'm 39. So I, I can't claim that I was like 16 when I did all the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um, uh, so what, what, repeat the question again. Sorry, I, got I mean, I guess on. just looking back at looking that back, former yeah. version of yourself, how do you feel like you got there? And to a lot of people, they, they, there's a simplification of anybody who has the sort of beliefs that you might have where it's like hatred. You're right. filled with hatred. And, you know, even reading through like the worst stuff written about you, it can be kind of hard to find the stuff that really seems like specifically hateful. But clearly it was, it was something. Well, yeah. I mean, I, uh, when I first got into all of this stuff, I, draft, I dropped out of Duke Law School, excuse me, Duke um, History Department doctoral program in 2007. And I worked for this magazine called The American Conservative, which still exists and is a kind of paleoconservative um, anti-war kind of magazine and so on. But I always wanted something different. I was always attracted to edgier ideas. I mean, I, I've been a Nietzschean really since I was uh, 20 years old and first picked up that book. So I wasn't ever a paleoconservative. Uh, but it was a lot of these kind of webzines. We do, you know, 2,000 word think pieces on things. And I, you know, use terms like the alt-right and this kind of big tent idea of people going against the system. And there was just this moment with Trump 
where there was the potential to, in a way, kind of become a meme, I guess. Is this yeah, this is what these guys have in common. They're very good at reading the moment and becoming a meme. So kind of joining themselves and fitting themselves with the, the moment. Uh, I, I don't know Destiny hardly at all. I certainly don't know anything about Mr. Jumper, but I would assume that all three of these guys are very good at shape-shifting and fitting themselves to whatever is the hot new thing is the best way. I mean, I, I leaned into it. And a lot of it I look back at and I, I cringe a bit. A lot of it I look back at, I think there are some good things. A lot of it I look back at and I think there are some really awful things. You talk about the hate and, you know, look, race is a, it's everywhere. It's talked about endlessly by the mainstream media, by the Atlantic Monthly, by live streamers. It was so Richard Spencer is not primarily about hate, never has been primarily about hate to the best of my knowledge, right? Given the the edgy material that he talks about, right? He's pretty low, right? He's about as low as you can get on hate, generally speaking, right? He has his outbursts, but considering where he is occupied on the political spectrum and then the pressure that he's been under, what's perhaps most striking about him is how muted the expression of hatred has been. Obviously extremely important. We do need to have a conversation about it. But that stereotype of it's all about resentment and hatred and that can lead to violence, that stereotype isn't entirely untrue. I mean, if you look at someone like the Buffalo shooter or something like that, he was radicalized on 4chan during the pandemic and he cut and pasted a bunch of memes and uh, it became this, you know, uh, basketball game of, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill 10 and so the whites are up. Right? It, just horrible stuff. And meanwhile, people are probably, it can lead to that. And people are, when that kind of stuff comes out in the media, especially then people are assuming like, oh, Richard should be happy about this. Right? Exactly. exactly. And I, I don't want that. That makes me sick to think about it. And, and I also, but, you know, and it, and it is unfair, obviously, but, and, and it's not legally binding or anything, but at the same time, you do need to ask yourself, are, are you getting involved in something that actually does lead to someone doing something like this? And it's not most people, it's less than 1%, but is that 1% uh, of the population of your readers going to hear what you're saying and think, oh, yes, I should go kill non-whites, so we'll be up by 10. Well, Richard has, you know, appealed to the, to the gutter element with his hail victory and, you know, Nazi imitation and uh, lapping it up when people would see Kyle him. So he, he played a big role in dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people going in a bad direction you know, destructive, self-destructive, and socially destructive direction. On the other hand, I would not give Richard more than, say, 10% of the blame for these people who self-destructed on alt-right politics, right? Richard didn't put a gun to anyone's head. He just made a presentation, and it resonated with some people. And this, this game or something, just some, you, you have to recognize that. And so I've also taken a bit of a view that in some ways, like, there, there needs to be layers to how you think about things. And in terms of everyday politics, I mean, this is what Destiny was saying when I first met him. It's like, I don't know if you're now a liberal cuck or, or whatever, a fascist or whatever. There, there are, there's an outer layer of things that you have to address in the real world. Like, should we ban abortion? Uh, should we have some more reasonable gun legislation? So what should we do in Ukraine? These are just kind of immediate things. And you can have some opinions on them that are, in a way, short-term, immediate stuff. Um, I think it's more important because I still do want to change the world. I still do feel like, civilization is degenerating, that we're headed to a very bad place. But that kind of work needs to take place at a different level. It's not going to take place on the level of, you know, black crime, you know, Hispanic immigrants or whatever. Uh, it's, going to take, it's going to take place on a much, more, much deeper and much more spiritual level. And Richard, to his, his credit or to his detriment, depending on your point of view, has never emphasized black crime or Hispanic immigration or, you know, the Jews are out to genocide us.
Right? Richard has not focused on hating out groups, generally speaking. And so I feel like my calling um, for my life is to focus there. And I have some, I have lots of opinions on contemporary stuff. And I probably am just pretty much of a centrist liberal when it comes to a lot of those things. But in terms of the deeper core of what I'm about, spiritual core, I do want to be radical as hell. And I do want to, in a way, shock people and, and try to get the world moving in a different Yeah, he wants to shock people because when you shock people, that is the most effective way of grabbing people's attention. And we're living in an attention economy. And so you shock someone, right? That's the easiest way to grab their attention. Different direction. But it's just, it's kind of a very different tact. And I think it's more, it's, it's kind of ironically more pragmatic to deal with spiritual matters like that. Okay. Destiny, like what pre assumptions do you have about Richard going into this? Do you have like a, a generally a negative or positive opinion of him? Or, and how do you feel about hearing about this tra transition that he's kind of been through? Uh, I mean, obviously, my impression is overwhelmingly negative. <laughs> um, I think, I feel like people call you like the founder of the alt right. And then I've seen, um, I mean, look at Destiny, if you're just listening to the podcast version of this, he's got this bright blue hair. All right. This is not something that somebody sane does. All right. I mean, this is like a warning sign that I'm mentally ill. All right. If, if you encountered, you know, a, a bird or an animal in the wild looking like this, you would think this is this is dangerous. So Destiny is signaling to us that he's mentally ill and dangerous. Because you have the URL, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but, yeah, but I mean, like, remember the old interviews? I think of the black guy in um, the UK asking you. It was like the BBC thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. so like saw that video footage. Um, but I, I mean, uh, I, I guess my strength as a political commentator, people engaged with, like, I'm always willing to meet people where they are. I know that a lot of people grow and change. Um, there's stuff that I've said four or five years ago that I cringe at now. Um, it's a product of where you're at in your personal development. It can be a product of where you're at in your professional development, the world around you, and it can be a product of what's happening in, in the world around you. You know, we joked yesterday a lot on the show that like COVID. It's probably more a case of this particular situation that you're in at the time. So saying something extreme in a certain situation, given what's happening in that situation, it, it wasn't so extreme. But when you extrapolate it out, then then it sounds extreme and stupid. Did something to a lot of people's oh, minds. Yeah. That that two year period like fucking exaggerated so many different people's beliefs and opinions about so many different things. And um Really? Really did uh that many people lose their mind during during COVID? I, I I'm not aware of that. I, I noticed that Black Lives Matter in the post-George Floyd era, it tempted a lot of people down a self-destructive and socially destructive direction, particularly on the left. I try not to, I try not to define myself as a reaction to the things that happen around me, but realistically, we do react, right? And, and people are reacting. Yeah, you can, you can say, oh, I try not to define myself by reacting to those things around me, but uh, that's, that's inevitable, right? We don't get to control the universe. We don't even get to control our community. You may not even get to control our home, right? If you have a 40-hour-a-week job, you're essentially a slave 40 hours a week. So wisdom is understanding that so much of life you, you cannot control, right? My show, I get to control this, right? So three, five, seven, nine hours a week when I live stream, I get to control that, and I get to control how I spend my spare time, and I get to control how I react, situations but i don't often get to control situations
reacting constantly to the things that exist around. And I kind of point that out to other people that um, people can often be irrational, but people are never random ever. People mistake somebody's irrational feelings as randomness or hatred or whatever. And it's like, no, if somebody feels a particular way about a race of people, a religion of people, whatever, it's probably something that pushed them in that direction, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, as long as people continue to grow and reflect and change their thoughts going forward, yeah, I think that's always a good thing. So I, I don't think Richard just said anything right now that I would offhandedly disagree with, but all of it so far has been like pretty meta level. So it depends on, I guess, where you've gone on an applied level with a lot of what you're saying. Like some people say like, oh, like I think it's important they have like a well-functioning and fair criminal justice system. And on a meta level, that's fine. But then on an applied level, they may be like, I think anybody that deals drugs should be having the death sentence because it's hurting our children. And it's like, okay, well, that'd be a problem. But yeah, you know, it just depends on where we go on the applied level with things. So I don't know much about Destiny, but just from the few minutes that I'm listening to it, he is very smart. How are you applying these things? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can see how I apply th these things if you, you know, take a look at my um, Twitter account or something like that. I mean, I, I guess my reaction, I mean, and I, I would apply them in, in liberal ways. I mean, again, I, Joe Biden has been the best president of my lifetime, no question. Um, the Probably a lot of people are going to be deeply shocked to hear you say that, even though I, I think you've made that pretty clear on social media and stuff, yeah? Right. Well, I mean, look, I've been a Biden supporter longer than a Trump supporter, but I don't think I can ever escape my old shadow. But in terms of Afghanistan... Um, so I would say that uh, Donald Trump and uh, Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush were far superior to Joe Biden. I would say that George W. Bush has been the worst president of uh, my lifetime. Um, that obviously needed to be done in terms of uh, something like the CHIP Act. I mean, I met this kid the other day. It was actually New Year's Eve, and he was this young kid with a technology degree, and he was, like, doing all this amazing stuff. I saw, I saw like, optimism among people. They're doing, um, you know, semiconductor work in Montana, of all places. Uh, so I, I think there's just a lot of great things. I think he's right uh, on the abortion question. I think he's right on gun control. I mean, I, that is how I apply them in the sense of a, a central liberal attitude. I mean, that, that's the proper way to apply it. I, don't, I think a lot of times... You know, it's like the, the idea of like what's radical. And I, I've always been fascinated with this. With... Look, the number one problem in the United States of America is violent crime. And Joe Biden is wrong there. He's on the side of the criminals, right? He's not on the side of law enforcement. He's not on the side of people who want to put away for a very long time super predators, right? We have about 1% of the population that commits, you know, astronomical proportion of crime particularly violent crime, and if we only locked up those people for decades, right, we would live in a veritable heaven on earth. Number one problem in our country, there's a very simple solution, you know, lock up super predators for decades. Joe Biden is on the wrong side of that number one most important issue. Richard Spencer on the wrong side, that number one most important issue. I'm going to assume that the destiny also is on the, the wrong side of that, that most important issue. Republicans, by and large, have a far superior attitude towards law enforcement and punishing people who do heinous acts than Democrats. So that, to me, is the most important issue in the United States. And it's one example of, of how Republicans are 100 times better than Democrats over these most important issues. Democrats fueled, supported, promoted, gloried in, danced with Black Lives Matter terrorism, which did great damage to this country in addition to slaughtering thousands and thousands of people, right? We've had an astronomical crime wave since George Floyd died. And because our elites, particularly the media and the Democratic Party, have incentivized the police to stop doing their job, to stop making traffic arrests, we've had an astronomical rate of death on the roads and pedestrian deaths because when police stop enforcing the law, those people who are most likely to break the law start going wild. This term, I mean, I named my journal Radix. It's about radical, getting to the heart of things. Radix is the root of the word root. Um, 
And I think a lot of right-wing commentators, and, and this is, includes me, is you kind of want to say something shocking that's immediately shocking. You know, like, you know, if we catch you dealing drugs, we're going to torture you in, the, in front of the public. And, um, you know... No, there's nothing about being right-wing or left-wing that wants to shock people. It is just a, a human desire for attention, which can very easily get out of control, which it has consistently gotten out of control for, for Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer didn't have this intense thirst to shock people. He wouldn't have done nearly as much damage, right? People who are happy, at ease with themselves, and at ease with the people around them, don't have this intense burning desire that Richard has to shock people. All uh, girls who go on OnlyFans should be, uh, you know, thrown into a kitchen, bare feet, forced to make me sandwiches. <laughs> this is a whole genre these days. It's the kind of Fuentes approach. Like, let's be honest, right? Yeah. And Although he's, he's probably not even close to the worst of them at this point. No. He seems kind of like a restrained in comparison <laughs> to a lot of people now. Well, he's getting a little bit older. Yeah. Um, yeah. And look, a lot of this kind of thing is fun on some level. It's shock. It's meant to shock. And I think there's this weird game where it's it's almost done for the liberals. Yeah, it's fun until it's heinous. So... I was quite willing to have on, you know, any alt-right character onto my show back in the days when the alt-right wasn't murdering anyone. So up until 2018, the alt-right hadn't killed anybody. And then starting in 2018, the alt-right starts murdering people. And then what was fun and games has turned dark, right? The alt-right used to be known as a bunch of merry pranksters until Richard Spencer deliberately associated it with Nazism, which was the the end essentially of the alt-right and you then had this you know downward dark spiral into murder and all sorts of heinous antisocial behavior so that uh, it's hard to just joke about things anymore when people using the same jokes and the same rhetoric you know go out and slaughter dozens of people it's like they'll, they'll say this kind of shocking thing knowing that like media matters is going to clip it and then they could go all to their fans and be like oh i'm gonna be badass here yeah um, that's all fine and good, but it is very juvenile. And I think, again, I think what our society is missing is an overarching vision. And as Destiny was saying about reacting, it's natural that we react to things. And it is that what our society is most missing, an overarching vision? What our society is most missing, and it's so clear after spending a few months in, in Australia, what our society is most missing is ordinary levels of human connection. And it's a lot easier to connect with people when you have things in common. So celebrating diversity means that you celebrate that you have very little in common with the people around you, which makes human connection more difficult, which makes it you know, more difficult to be happy and to be sane. And it discourages you from volunteering and trying to make your community a better place. People increasingly pull in. They stay behind locked doors. They watch more TV, right? They, they don't enjoy public spaces. That's our number one problem, just basic human connection, which is a lot easier when you allow people freedom of association. But when you have this massive civil rights legal infrastructure and then sue people who don't abide by it, you destroy normal human connection. You fragment people, you fragment communities, you fragment society. And I mean, just go to a coherent, cohesive society and that doesn't mean that it has to be, you know, 99% one religion or one race or one ethnicity, but uh, certain combinations of people work better together than other combinations. Sydney is incredibly diverse and also the fourth safest city in the world, according to one survey. So you can have diversity and safety and cohesion it depends on the particular mix. It's necessary, but our society doesn't have some kind of 
all-encompassing vision that where we can define ourselves as a civilization and as we don't need some all-encompassing philosophical vision right? the normal reason for a society for a community for a nation state is to achieve safety and prosperity for ourselves and for our posterity right? that's what you need you need people who are willing to work together because they have a lot in common who want to provide for their children and their children's children. That's what you need for a healthy society. You don't need an overarching philosophy. The human race. And whatever, I'm not a, I've never been a fan of Kanye West or Gay in terms of his music. Luke, please stop. You're embarrassing yourself. What can I say? I'm an anti-murder activist. So for you, it's embarrassing that I'm opposed to murder. For you, it's embarrassing that I think violent crime is America's number one problem. You think it's embarrassing that I believe that uh, human connection is uh, the most important issue for individuals, you know, just leading their lives. That people should be allowed to band together, have freedom of association, build up families and communities without having this whole edifice of civil rights legislation and big government and uh, litigation and, you know, social workers and an entire edifice of elites you know, trying to destroy the most basic and traditional forms of human connection. To you, that's embarrassing. That I think that uh, families are good, communities are good, freedom of association is good, people working together, the more they have in common, that's a good thing, and that we should put away people who commit murder and rape for many decades. So for you, that's embarrassing that I am just a... Embarrassing here. So embarrassed being an anti-murder activist. And I don't even know what I think about him exactly as a person. But I will grant him this. Whoa. And I'll grant Nick Fuentes this. Nick. So audio gone, audio is back. So yeah, is it uh, embarrassing to be an anti-murder activist? Is it embarrassing to stand for freedom of association? Is it embarrassing to not celebrate the ever-fragmenting of society? Uh, th that's fine with me. If, if that's embarrassing to you, it's not embarrassing to me. Fuentes has hated me for years and whatever. We've kind of reached an understanding. But I will give both of those people this. That notion of defining uh, the human race and Americans in particular as a Christian movement. Chris Alton says, no, it's embarrassing that you think societies don't need coherent narratives. Well, guess what? People are allowed to form freedom of association, to form their own communities. They will have coherent narratives. So you think... Ah, we just give people the coherent narratives and everything will flow from that. I say you allow people to join together normally, naturally, form freedom of association, bonds, and community. Then out of that will come narratives. It's not the narratives that transform the people. It's when you allow normal levels of human connection that you will then get narratives that serve people. Right? We all have a hero system. 
if we just allow people to naturally congregate, to choose the type of community that they want to live in, and the, the moral norms that will govern that community, then you will get coherent, cohesive hero stories out of those coherent, cohesive communities. That is about love, love of all people. This is who we are. Our book is our code. I don't agree with this. I mean, I, I, I'm a Nietzschean, dyed-in-the-wool Nietzschean, so on. But I respect the fact that he's putting that forward, because I do think that that's what we lack. Joe Biden can offer something, some fantasy of like a middle-class America, manufacturing, all that kind of fun stuff. We like each other, we're proud. That's all great, but it's, it's fundamentally lacking. And I think particularly for young people and in the 21st century, it just feels hollow. Mm. I mean, I drove by 10 cities. So if you have a family, if you have a spouse and you have kids, right, you don't feel hollow. Right? If you're a normal person with a family, you do not feel hollow, whether you're religious or whether you're secular or somewhere in between, right? whether you're Christian, anti-Christian, Jewish, anti-Jewish, Muslim, anti-Muslim, whether you're Nietzschean or you like Jane Austen, all right? you don't feel hollow if you have people in your life, if you're contributing. I volunteer about 10 to 15 hours a week. I don't feel hollow inside. It's very rare that I feel hollow inside because I'm making an important contribution to enough people's lives in, in a concrete way that uh, I wake up frequently 3 a.m. in the morning. This morning, I was up and at it by about 2.45 a.m. because I have opportunities to contribute to the lives of people that I love. So you have a family or you have friends, you have community, you're not going to feel hollow. Right? The hollow man is he who lacks normal human connection. And then when you don't have that normal human connection, you have this extraordinary need for meaning. This is what Richard's talking about, the extraordinary need for meaning. But a normal, healthy person gets all the meaning that he needs from his family, and possibly he needs friends and community as well. That will provide all the meaning that a normal person needs. But if you're unable to connect with people normally, if you're unable to have normal familial ties, family ties, communal ties, then you have to fill that emptiness. And so subsuming it with some great meaning quest, all right, will we'll feel temporarily like it, uh, like it fixes things. And then you think you've got the answer for everyone else. But what's happening here is because Richard Spencer lacks normal levels of human connection, right? He then, like everyone else who lacks normal levels of human connection, has to fill that hole with something. So he fills it with drinking, right? He, he's a self-admitted alcoholic. And he fills it with uh, grandiosity. And he fills it with attention-seeking and being shocking. And he feels like, you know, he needs meaning. He has an extraordinarily you know, intense need for meaning because he is unable to be at ease with himself and at ease with other people. Right? Once you're at ease with yourself, at ease with others, and you have a family and a community that you're building, you don't have this extraordinary, overarching, overly intense need for meaning. You should be able to get all the meaning you need in the world from your family, from your friends, from your community, from your hobbies, and your career, your education, and your religion. Cities, you know, on my way out here. The, the, the OnlyFans thing, the, the notion of 22-year-old girls, their entire income is coming from selling their tits and ass to random men. I mean, there's just something hollow and depressing about this shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but do you think that these girls were just so healthy before that? Do you think they had normal relations with their family? 
and with their friends and with their community before that. Only fans and whoring and being a porn star is a reflection of broken people. There was one outstanding attribute that I noticed among virtually everyone in the pornography community, and that is they lack normal human ties. Right? When it comes down to it, our happiness in life depends on the quality of our connections with ourselves and with other people. And the one overwhelming characteristic of everyone in the porn industry and every extremist that I've met in politics is that they lack normal human ties. And then when you lack that normal level of human connection, you have to fill it. You have to distract yourself from the emptiness. So some people distract themselves with drugs, others with alcohol, others with whoring themselves out, others with extreme politics. So it's not only fans and social media that's creating the emptiness and the hollowness. It is only fans and extreme behavior that reflects this lack of normal human connection, which is exacerbated by our mountain of civil rights laws and big government interfering with people's you know, natural desire to form cohesive, coherent communities. Yeah, as an OnlyFans creator, I can confirm that. Right, right. <laughs> There's a lot of times where you're like, what the fuck is this? Right, no, no, I, I feel like, I get it. I'm not, I'm not really even judging. Yeah. I would say this to your face, I'd say this to other, other people's face with, with sympathy. But like, we, we've got to get to a point where there's an overarching vision that's going to bring our society to a higher level. Because everyone wants it. Any kind of poll you hear, are we on the right track or the wrong track? Wrong track. Okay, so name me some societies that have united around an overarching vision. I mean, the United States of America was a pretty successful society for about 250 years. And to the extent it had a vision, it was that of the preamble to the Constitution. We are gathering together to work for our common welfare and for the welfare of our children, for our posterity, right? That's a normal, healthy approach to life. Do you, do you think your children are going to have a better future than you do? Worse. You know, it's just so consistent, this kind of anxiety and depression, kind of death of God that we're experiencing, that we, there has to be something new put in its place. And I do feel like that's my calling. If I can contribute to that, I've really done something. If I go on some media interview and, and be like, you know, whites are the best, ooh, you know, uh, who cares? You know, that, that stuff's ephemeral and meaningless. I feel like one of the contradictions that have existed in America for a long time. Uh, this idea that uh, Richard Spence is going to help society, you know, deal with the death of God is absurd. So we've got our first secular societies in human history in Northern Europe, in particular, Protestant countries secularized first. And uh, they don't have mass suicide. They don't have Scandinavian countries don't have, you know, massive amounts of, of crime committed by native Scandinavians. They have some crime problems with some of their immigrants. But Northern Europe has been overwhelmingly secular for about uh, 70 years now and uh, they don't lack meaning and purpose and uh, harmony and coherence and, and prosperity right and they don't have religion japan is not religious that's a highly coherent cohesive society so plenty of societies have done just fine without god and i believe in god i think uh, god's Im important for many people that uh, god can be you know, a redeeming power in, in your life to help you overcome things that you can't overcome on your own. But I'm also sit, standing here in reality, I hope, and I recognize that many of the most coherent, cohesive, low-crime societies are the least religious, you know, and the least concerned with God. And on the other hand, uh, many of the people who behave the worst in the United States are the ones most likely to invoke God. Yes, we, we seem to have this idea 
that, and I hear this a lot when people hark into the past, I don't know if there ever was a unified America where we all had this overarching, this overarching concept or idea that we all pushed for. We felt like we were on the same team. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm always quick to point out that like, yeah, there's never been an over, you know, arching vision for America. America's always had tremendously more, you know, diversity and therefore attention than England, France, Germany, Japan, Australia. All right. There's a sense of mateship in Australia that you don't have, generally speaking, walking down the street in America. America had a tremendous amount of freedom and prosperity so that you had organic communities that grew up and people would live their lives, you know, largely within a particular tribe, taking advantage of the bounty that America offered them. I feel like we're divided more today than we are, where we ever have in our history. And then people will point out, well, we have a civil war. Yeah, we are divided more now because that is what is incentivized, right? Diversity don't have anything in common with your neighbors, right? But if you reversed the civil rights revolution and you stopped praising diversity and you started praising people forming organic communities according to their particular morality, then you would have a return of some increased levels of coherence and cohesion. Which is, which is very true. We did have a civil war, a pretty big one and a pretty violent one. Um, I, think that the, I think that what is inherent to American ideology is that we have so many different and disconnected groups all living in the same country. And somehow, for a long time, we have made it work better than any other country in I think, human history in terms of global hegemony, in terms of economic power, in terms of cultural creation. Yeah, and that's largely to do with two factors, America's geography and America's demographics, right? That accounts for American power and prosperity, right? We have these two giant moats in the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and we have this uh, powerful, you know, Anglo-Saxon heritage that uh, has, has made some of the, the freest, you know, at least corrupt societies in, in human history creation and exportation, somehow we've got all these different types of people, sometimes with wildly conflicting beliefs, and we've threaded together this idea, both legally and kind of like um, governmentally, conceptually, we've threaded together this idea of liberal democracy. We've had all sorts of different people that have managed to live and work under one roof successfully. I think that, I, I hate going back to this because it's so, it's so boring. I don't know how, some ways successfully, some ways not. Uh, America's never been as coherent and cohesive and had the high levels of social trust of even England or even Ireland, or France, or, or Germany, or the Scandinavian countries, or Japan, or, or Australia. So America's race problems are world race problems. America just has more races, more diversity, and therefore more racial problems. But wherever you look in the world, and you have the same sort of mixes of, of race that you have in various parts of the United States, you have similar levels of tension and crime and resentment. I think there are a lot of really sexy and exciting answers to give for what's going on in the country today. You know, it might be the, um, our spiritual decay and our abandonment of Christ. It might be, you know, things like the OnlyFans girls and the pornography. Uh, it might be things like uh, white supremacy and, you know, you know, white colonialism. It might be things like the patriarchy. And these are all, like really fun and cool ideas because it gives you like a very clear enemy to fight against. And when you've got an enemy to fight against, you can rally people on your side. You can give speeches. You can raise money. You can go to war. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having an enemy, all right, because it gives you an identity and it gives you purpose and meaning and it lets you know who your in-group is. But if you become overly obsessed with your enemy when that's not necessary, then that becomes maladaptive. So a mild to moderate sense of your in-group versus out-group, that is adaptive. Uh, an extreme level of in-group identity in a diverse country like the United States doesn't generally serve you. Or you can protest and riot and you feel like you've got this righteous fire in your belly because you're fighting against something that's clearly evil and is clearly destroying your lives. And I feel like what's actually happening is 
it's, it's a more boring answer, but I think that the amount of information that's available to us today on the internet, I don't believe that our brains are like fundamentally capable of existing in that environment, parsing information responsibly and getting an idea of what's actually going on. There never was a time when our brains were adequate for, for dealing with reality. We've only ever been able to get glimmerings uh, about the, the world around us, right? The world around us has always been a buzzing confusion. There have always been far more variables, far more complexity than we can ever comprehend. And instead what's happening is we're being overwhelmed with information and then our brains with all of their flaws. We're not being overwhelmed by information. Certain personalities like a destiny, right? He may feel overwhelmed by information, but uh, there are billions of people in the world right now who do not feel overwhelmed by information. Right? Plenty of people don't live their lives online and biases are picking and choosing the worst of all worlds to put together this horrible right this is just embodies with, with both richard and destiny they're not talking about the world as it is they're talking about how they are right they're not seeing the world as it is they're seeing the world as they are and so destiny feels overwhelmed by information and richard feels hollow inside and so they're both prescribing for everyone else you know their own prescription to deal with their own lack of control and their own emptiness view of the United States and of the world. Sometimes um, I feel this a lot with uh, I briefly touched on this yesterday, but on February 3rd, I think there was a pretty big train derailment, a lot of chemicals that were spilled in East Palestine on that night. And in the following days, every single mainstream media company reported on this MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. You can go to Internet Archive and you can look at their top stories and all of them have it on there. Every single mainstream media. But nobody cared because why would we? Train derailments happen a lot. Chemicals spill a lot. You know, do we really care? Not really. And then two weeks later, I think I saw two videos go viral. One was a guy literally screaming at the cloud saying, look at that. This is fucking bullshit. They're burning chemicals. And then another one was, I think, a guy in like a van who said, like, my voice sounds like Mickey Mouse now. And after those two things went viral on social media, now everybody's like, oh, my God. Why did the media cover this up? Why was nobody covering this? What's going on? So I'm trying to think if anyone in my life in the real world has talked about East Palestine. I can't think of anyone in my real life talking about East Palestine. So again, Destiny is talking about something that's going on with a group of people like him who are highly online, highly tuned into Twitter. But 98% of the American population is not having the experience he is describing. Right? Most people don't lead lives obsessed with politics and with social media. Most people lead lives obsessed with themselves, rightly, their own welfare, their own education, their own income, their own loves, their own pursuits, their own family, their own friends, their own community. Nobody was pointing out. It was reported on. You just didn't give a fuck until it went viral in your fucking TikTok feed. You didn't care until you saw it on Twitter. And now all of a sudden, now you're like, well, why didn't anybody make a video? It's like, they did. They, they posted well, it. I, I, agree, I agree with you in terms of the mechanics. And uh, Luke Croft making some good points. These guys seem to forget that 99% of people are not terminally online and are not worrying about the existential questions of politics and religion. Much of Northeast Asia does not believe in a monotheistic God, and they have not for thousands of years. They seem to be fine. Do I see Apollonianism taking the world by storm? No, not... Uh, not really. Joe Biden is not perceived as a radical Democrat. He reminds people of a Bill Clinton figure, a return to normality. That is one aspect of Joe Biden. Another aspect of him, you know, caves into a fairly left-wing radical agenda. Why does Richard Spencer support Joe Biden? Because it's attention-getting. Right? You can 
explain virtually everything that Richard Spencer does in terms of how much attention he can get for it because I have a similar personality. Right? If I'm not spiritually centered, then my mind starts immediately working. How can I extract the maximum of attention from this interaction? So yeah, Richard's a big attention seeker and that explains you know, pretty much everything. of what you've just described, but I would look at the psychology of why that happened. And the reason why it happened is that we're almost expecting or even maybe even desiring a kind of Titanic-like event because we know that something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Most people don't know that something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And 95% of people are not expecting some Titanic event. Most people are thinking about their jobs, their family, their friends, their community, their synagogue, their church, their hobbies, their investments, their favorite sports teams, new TV shows that are coming out, new movies that they're looking forward to, where they want to go on vacation, right? Mark, and we're looking for something that can kind of that can express that this big derailment, poisoning the water supply, killing animals, all etc. We're, we, we're looking for it. We almost want it because that's a, an expression about how we really feel about the country. Yeah, but is it is it that, or is it just like a natural human tendency to be drawn towards like dramatic and negative events? This is I'm sure you played this one. Not to poke at your pastor, but I'll do it. I play this all the time. Sure. Right? If you ask people, so there were two times when I was about six years of age that I deliberately lit fires, and I did so because I wanted, as I try to understand it now at age 56 looking back 50 years i, I tried to uh, wanted to make the, the world around me as chaotic and, and burning up as i felt inside of me but the overwhelming majority of people are not the sick hollow people that richard spencer was just describing involved in blm how many unarmed black i'm curious how many unarmed black men do you think are killed every year by the police um Oh, billions yeah millions billions a relatively yeah, small yeah, number right? yeah, yeah. yeah it's like people might say like a relatively small number and guess like maybe like 500 it's like 12 right it's a very small number but like think about it this way but it's an expression of what they feel i i, I think mm -hmm. we ha I, it might not very well be rational and you can sh you can shove statistics down their throat but it's a yeah and how many how many people are killed by quote-unquote unarmed black men or unarmed white men all right a lot of unarmed people kill people right Someone's throwing a stone, throwing a punch, right? Driving a car into a crowd of people. These unarmed people, right, are killing a lot of people. If they wrestle away a policeman's gun and then use the, the gun to execute the police, right? They were unarmed until the moment they seized the policeman's gun. An expression of how they feel, and it might even be a certain kind of fantasy element to it as well, um, in the sense that uh, they, they do feel out of place and oppressed and not making it or something. It, it also expresses a certain kind of fantasy of like to make a conflict that is invisible in a way visible. Yeah, that's, to, what, to I, yeah, of, that's yeah. what I said before. It feels good to have the patriarchy to fight against, right? right. Or have cops to fight. It, it feels good if you're a loser, if you don't have anything going on in your life, if you're not building your education, if you're not building your skills, if you're not building your career, if you're not building your family, if you're not building your community, if you're not building your moral character, if you're not building on your hobbies. If you're not building something and you're empty and you're just a parasite and a loser, then you want to distract yourself by some, you know, imaginary cataclysm, right? Such as what uh, animates Richard and animates Antifa and an animates some of the, the more extreme crazy elements of the alt-right because they're not building anything. So they want to distract themselves from reality by 
you know, role-playing some mythical game. Fight against because you get this because there is a lot of frustration in general in life. I think that's probably part of life. And through a combination of removing all tenacity from people because we poison children's minds and thinking that any type of adversity is absolutely fucking negative and you should remove all of it from your life um, in terms of removing a lot of the major problems from people's lives, right? Like, realistically, if you're a woman, no one is saying that, like, you can't work that job because you're a woman. So you can't... The number one problem for most people, most of the time, is themselves. That is true 100 years ago, 300 years ago, 500 years ago, right? It's fairly rare in the Western world that your number one problem is not yourself. Right, so we uh, have evolutionary mismatch. Right, we we evolved to not be content with you know just having sex with that one person, or just eating that that one piece of meat, or just eating the, those berries. We want more, more, more. We have all sorts of evolutionary mismatches that we have to struggle with, and so we're predisposed towards addiction unless we're centered in a good way, connected with our better selves and with other people kind of have to look for sexism in more subtle and nuanced right. ways, which is good, you should look for it. But when you start to lose a lot of these bigger problems, it kind of feels like, I don't want to say you have to invent problems, but you remember what Dick said yesterday on the show when um, when we were talking about, like, it feels like... No, people have always had big problems because they have to go to bed with themselves and get up with themselves and walk around within themselves. And, you know, inside of us, we have all sorts of chaotic responses to stimuli that uh, sometimes serve us and sometimes don't serve us. So it's, it's not like the outside world or regulation or politics or social media is our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is inside our own soul. Like some people are like, and I get this feeling sometimes, I get a lot of heat for this, but like you're middle class, you're white, parents are decent wealthy, you go to a decent school, um, and then you get online and it's like, I have nothing to complain about. Well, now I'm going to be non-binary and now I'm going to have the most depression ever. And it's like, is that really like what you need to like have something to complain about? Like, and that's what it feels like a lot of times. That people, sometimes you, you remove so many of the big problems. There's never been anyone who had nothing to complain about, right? To to live and to breathe is to have reasons to feel abused and taken advantage of and to have reasons to complain. Problems that people are like, I need something to fucking complain and bitch and be a victim about. But I feel like that's like the human condition. I remember kids doing... We're just wired to be resentful. <laughs> We're just wired to want all sorts of things that we can't have. What a gorgeous sunset right now over Los Angeles. And uh, we're coming up on the Jewish holiday of Purim, where we celebrate the the book of Esther, the story in the book of Esther, which portrays the the Jews as facing down a genocide and then surviving the genocide and and then slaughtering their enemies. So that's going to start in about twenty minutes. Doing it in high school, I went to a prep school, and I'll go to these kids' houses. It's like my fucking family just got kicked out of our third fucking house. I go to this girl's house, who's like one parent is like a dentist, and the other is like partnered at a law firm with a mansion. And she's like, "Yeah, I cut myself every night because I'm so depressed." And in my mind, I think, "How fucking you be depressed? You're rich, you have everything in life." But you know, in their mind, they're like, "Well, you know." Yeah, as though if uh, you're you're rich, you're not going to have any problems. Okay, I got to run. It's Purim, guys. Take care. Bye bye.